gathered here with you folks. This morning, the scripture reading is a very familiar story in the gospel according to St. Luke, uh, chapter 18. And <clears throat> it's the story of two men who uh, wanted to pray. Let's hear the word of God. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give one-tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. <clears throat> A couple of years ago, when I was going for my annual physical, my wife said to me, have your doctor check your hearing. So my physician, and I have been friends for a long time, he is actually a member of my congregation. And I said to him, Bruce, how am I doing? He said, oh, you're, you're checking out fine. I said, well, I think I need to have my hearing checked. So he sent me down the hall to an audiologist. They put me in a little room with a box, closed the door, did a series of tests. And then he said to me, I have some serious news to give you. I said, well, what's that? He said, you have a medical problem that only affects men. I said, really? And he sa I said, well, what is it? He's called, he said, it is called selective listening. <laughs> I'd never heard of that before. And I thought, this is amazing. But then he told me everything else was in good shape. And so one of the things that I have found to be really important is to understand that in our relationship with God, we need to understand that this is a process of communication. God speaks and we listen. We listen and God speaks. God listens to us and then responds back. And so it is this dialogue. And so this is an important facet of our spiritual journey. But I believe that there are prayers that God will not answer. I was at the cottage a couple of weeks with uh, my kids and my grandkids, and one of my eight-year-old granddaughters said to me, she knew I was coming here, so she said, so what are you going to talk on on Sunday? And I said, well, I'm going to talk about a prayer that I believe God will not answer. She became very upset, and she said, what do you mean? Doesn't God listen to us, and doesn't he answer all of our prayers? I said, honey, 
let me explain to you that there are some things that God will not answer because he's not listening, because we're not even talking to him. And it was sort of like a little light bulb went on in her mind. And so there are prayers that I believe God will not answer. Well, there's lots of religious words that can be used in the prayer, but you see, they're not really addressed to God. It's just pious talk, and we're addressing it uh, to ourselves. And so in the reading that we had the, a few moments ago in Luke's gospel, this is a story that Jesus told about these two men who went to the temple to pray. And I think their prayers give us insight into how we can begin to pray so that we can see power in our prayer life and begin to see some results that will actually transpire. So as these men go to the temple to pray, there are several things that they have in common. The first thing is they're both Jewish in their background, so they would understand the traditions and the rituals that would surround their prayer life. Both these men had a desire to pray to God, and their prayers were addressed to God. Oh, God. But from that point on, the similarities are gone. So the first thing I would like us to look at in this is what I call the prayer that never made it. The prayer that never made it. And never made it because God really won't answer that prayer anyway. And we're going to begin to see why. So this first man who prays, it's all about himself. And it begins to focus on people who tend to think that they are somewhat righteous in their own life. That they've made it on their own, and because of that, they often will treat other people with contempt. You're not quite like I am. You're not as good as I am. And so this man was a Pharisee. Now, sometimes Pharisees get a bad rap. But Pharisees were very devout individuals. They would pray a minimum of three times a day. How many of us pray three times a day? They would follow all the guidelines of ritual cleanliness, of following the sacrificial system, of being in the temple, of serving and doing other things. But you see, this man sought his salvation or his relationship with God through self-effort. And he thought that everything that I am doing will automatically lead to me being a righteous individual. And so he believed that it was through his good works and his hard effort that he would attain eternal life. And so this is the prayer that he offers. God, I thank you that I am not like other men and women. And he begins to delineate them. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. And then he gets really personal. And even this tax collector, like the guy saying, hello, I'm here in the room. I can hear you. And then he went on to say, I fast twice a week and I give 10% of everything that I earn. Kind of a religious prayer when you think about it. But the problem with this prayer is at least threefold. The first thing I would suggest is 
that his prayer was comparative. He thought he was good, especially when he measured himself against other people. And I think there can be a tendency for all of us to do some comparisons with other people. We can compare ourselves in terms of education. We can compare ourselves in terms of financial uh, well-being. We can compare ourselves in terms of good health, whatever. And sometimes we compare ourselves spiritually against other people. And so this man thought that he was good when he looked at other people. And so he would elevate himself by putting down other people. And so he said, I'm not a robber. I am not a swindler or a cheat. I don't commit adultery. And I'm not like this tax collector. So there's the immediate comparison right there. In fact, he would view all of these people with great contempt, almost to say, these people don't count one iota. And so by putting them down and considering them to be nobodies, he saw himself really as a somebody. And when we look at the prayer, it's also interesting to look at the posture that this man took when he prayed. He stood to pray. Now, as you begin to explore Scripture, you will discover that there are different prayer postures that are laid out. Sometimes people will stand. Sometimes they will kneel. Sometimes they lie face down. Sometimes they look up. Sometimes they look down. There's a lot of different postures. But as I was thinking about this parable and looking at the posture of this man, he is standing. And as you listen to the words that he is uttering, I think his posture is telling us that he is showcasing his spirituality before everybody else. And he is simply saying, look at me. Do you ever have little kids who are trying something new? And they're saying, look at me, look at me. I'm going to go down the slide. Look how high I can go in the swing. Look at me. And he's saying, look at me, God. I'm not like others, especially the trash that I've just talked about. So this prayer, this prayer was comparative. The second thing about his prayer was that it focused on externals. Look at all that I have done and that I continue to do. So I'm not like other people, but look at what I actually do. And so he begins to produce his religious credentials. He said, I fast two times a week. In the Jewish culture, they would fast on Mondays and they would fast on Thursdays if you were truly righteous. And then he said, I tithe everything I get. Everything I get. Wouldn't you love those kind of folks in church? You never have to worry about the budget. God, look at I give 10% of everything I have. Now, there's nothing wrong with fasting. There's nothing wrong with what he is giving of his financial resources. All of this can be good. Except Jesus condemned those kind of actions when it's just externals and has no internal reality. One of the most profound texts in the Bible on fasting, and fasting is a spiritual practice whereby people set aside the time that it would take to prepare food and even eat food to focus on 
a spiritual issue in their life that God is drawing them to. And it was very common amongst the Jewish people to fast every Monday and Thursday. But the prophet Isaiah in the 58th chapter says to the nation of Israel, you do all of these things, but God says, I can't stand it. I can't stand it because there's no internal change in your life. You're doing all these externals. You're fasting and you're going through religious observances, but you still mistreat the poor. You in bondage, you put people into bondage that they can't get out of. There's no sense of justice in what you are doing. And the people cry out and you say, God, look at me. Look at me. If it's all externals with no inner reality, God's not interested. And so this man tells God everything that he has done, but it was simply on the surface. There was a rabbi who's well known. His name is Rabbi Simeon Ben-Jokai. And he thought he was a very righteous man. Let me tell you his prayer. These are the exact words of his prayer. He said, God, if there are only two righteous people in all the world, I and my son are those two. But God, if there's only one righteous person in all the world, then I am he. Kind of amazing. All the emphasis on the externals, but no inner reality. And the third thing about this prayer, it was a prayer of twisted thinking. When we get caught up with ourselves, it seems to me that pride starts to take over our life. And when pride takes over our life, it starts to distort reality because we don't often see ourselves as we really are. And possibly we even think that we have arrived. In our mind, we believe that our accomplishments and our goodness will put us into a right relationship with God. And so the Pharisees, they did all the right things. And let's face it, if anyone had arrived, surely it was this man. He wasn't a cheat. He wasn't a tax collector. He hadn't committed adultery. He could go on and list thing after thing that he had never done. And so he assumes that he has arrived. But part of the purpose of prayer and our communion with God is to see things as they are. It's a time for an honest evaluation of my own life, to take a look at missed opportunities, the sins I have committed, the hopes that I've never followed through with, and the dreams that have been dashed. And so I don't start to compare myself to others, but I come before Almighty God, and I compare myself in the light of His beauty and His purity and His holiness. See, this Pharisee had no need for God's mercy simply because he had accomplished his own spirituality on his own. And by his efforts, he perceived himself to be righteous. But there's a second prayer, and I call it the prayer of the heart. And the prayer of the heart <coughs> was offered by this second man who is a tax collector. This man we are told in the text, was standing some distance away. So he's kind of off to the side. He's not really front and center where people can see him. And <clears throat> he stands to the side, I believe, simply because he considers himself an unworthy person. 
He's probably thinking, I'm not worthy to even be in this temple, the house of God. I am not worthy to be in the presence of this righteous man who has declared himself to be such. And so he stays to the side. As a tax collector, we probably know that they were extortionists. They could squeeze people, and they had the power of Rome behind them to enforce it. And so this man begins to pray, but take a look at his posture when he is praying. Because I think his posture reveals his humility before God. And so he offers this prayer, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And it says in the text, he was unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven. Now remember the first guy, he's standing there speaking out loud because it was recorded and offering this prayer. This man is standing there with his head bowed down, a sense of his own unworthiness before God, and then he does something else. He starts to beat his chest, beating his chest. It's interesting when Jewish people pray, sometimes they take this posture. They cross their arms like this, and they put their head down to pray. When they do that, it's an expression of deep sorrow and regret. This is not the first time it's ever recorded in the scriptures. When Jesus was being crucified on the cross, we know that there was a crowd that had gathered around him and waited till the very end when he died. And at the end, it was said that the centurion looked at him and said, truly, this was a righteous man. And then Jesus died. But there's this little sentence that had escaped my notice for years. Maybe it has escaped yours, I don't know. But it said this. As the people gathered there and Jesus died, they beat their breasts and they walked away. There was a sense of sorrow and regret over what had happened because this centurion had just declared truly this was a righteous man. And so for this tax collector who is praying, he is at a loss of what he's going to say. And he simply cries out to God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. When I think about this prayer, there's a couple things. First of all, it was really honest. He looked into his own heart and he saw what he was. And he probably thinks, what more can I say? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And until we look into our own heart and our own life and honestly declare before Almighty God who we are and what we have done, we will never be set free from the past. That's why John, in writing in his letter, said these words, If we claim to be without sin, like we've got it all together, notice this, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You see, sin is not just separation from God, but it's also separation from our purpose and our potential. We will never outgrow God's need, our need for God's love 
for his forgiveness, for his guidance, and for his power in our day-to-day living. But the second thing about this prayer is this. It shows us that this man was not content staying where he was, but he wanted to grow and he wanted to move on. So as you think about your life and I have to think about mine, are you content with where you are today? Do you believe that you have arrived and there's nothing more to be done or said until you stand before God face to face? One of the greatest leaders of the Christian church was obviously the Apostle Paul. Remember, he was a Pharisee. He was a righteous man according to the law. If you read his background and his credentials, you see how he fulfilled everything perfectly. But then he encountered Jesus and he discovered that this is an ongoing relationship whereby we grow day after day after day. And so he didn't think he had arrived, but he writes these words in Philippians 3. I have not yet been made perfect. But notice this, I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He had never arrived, but he's going to press on. He wants to be closer and closer day by day to the Lord. And if we're going to live fully in this present moment, then we need to day by day experience the presence and the enabling power of Christ more and more if we're going to move on. This tax collector cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The prophet cried out, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. If we are satisfied where we are, then we will never see ourselves as we really are. We will never see our need for God and this relationship that he gives, not only right now, but forever. On the other hand, the honesty and the humility of the tax collector resulted in him being in a right relationship with God. And we are told by Jesus that this man went home justified before God. So how can I pray this way? How can I begin to experience this kind of reality that the tax collector experienced in my relationship with God? Well, I think, first of all, we all have to recognize that we have a certain amount of spiritual poverty in our life and that we need the power of God to be able to change. And all the effort and all of the things that we try to do will never, ever put us in right standing before God. I need to recognize my spiritual poverty. The second thing is, I need to simply be aware that God is merciful, that he desires us to be in relationship with him, and that he desires that we come to him to experience his mercy and grace. And then I have a longing, a desiring for God's guidance in my life, and that I desire to know him more and more. And the more I get to know God, the more I get to know who I am. And the more I get to know who I am, the more I get to know about God's mercy and grace. And it happens day 
after day after day. Are any of you familiar with a community in France called Tazé? Well, Tazé is a little community in the southern part of France, in Burgundy. It's a little village, and <clears throat> during World War II, a Lutheran layman called Brother Roger went to this little village. And during the war, he hid Jews. And after the war, he helped German soldiers to be recovered, and he took in children who were orphaned by the war. In this little village, there was a small, small church, and it had perfect acoustics. And he began to gather people around, and day by day, they would sing their prayers. In the 6th century, there was a monk called Brother Isaac. And Brother Isaac said this, when you sing, you pray twice. You ever think about singing? We did some singing here this morning. We not only articulated words, but did you notice how your emotions were touched? That's why you, when you sing, you pray twice. That's why I believe that all songs are prayers. Some are prayers of adoration. Some are prayers of confession. Some are prayers of thanksgiving. Some are prayers of petition, whatever it's going to be. Some are just deep prayers of the heart. And so he began this community, and it has grown today that in the summer, they have about 5,000 young adults come every week. They live in very basic accommodations. They have a chapel they've enlarged many, many times. <clears throat> and you know how old these young people are? Between 18 and 25. 5,000 a week come from all over the world. Every week, new groups keep coming in. This has been going on now for years. And then once a year, they hold a big prayer session in a major European center where they sing the prayers and they get 100,000 young people to come. They sing these prayers. Some of these prayers have really impacted my life. And I would like to share with you a prayer that we're going to see on the screen here this morning. This prayer has been prayed for over 2,000 years because it comes from the Gospel of Luke. It's the prayer of the tax collector. Lord, have mercy upon me. And so <clears throat> this is a prayer that we are going to pray together this morning as a congregation. Are you willing to try it with me? So we're going we're gonna to pray this prayer. And in the tradition of Taze, we're going to sing the prayer so that it becomes part of our own experience. And we're going to sing it several times. Because in Taze, the prayers are simple, they're short, and they're repeated. Very simple. So the idea is to move the words from your head to your heart. And just allow this prayer to move in your spirit. So think about where you are today before God. Are you the Pharisee? Are you the tax collector? And as we come together, we're going to sing this. And at the end of the prayer, we're just going to be in silence for a couple of minutes. And we'll sing it a few times. It kind of goes like this. 
pray it with me? Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. Lord, that's all we can really say, that you would have mercy upon us, that you would heal us, restore us, renew us. And by your grace, may we live fully in your presence, not only this day, but in all of our tomorrows. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus.